scripture reading today is Ephesians 3, 17-19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to John chapter 15, or if you've got some type of smartphone with it on there, please turn to John chapter 15. Sometimes you do this, I know you do, um, but I do whenever I'm having struggle, uh, a struggle conveying or communicating some type of a concept. I love to turn to an analogy. My wife does a lot. Um, I think it's a go-to for all of us. A couple examples here. Having trouble explaining how difficult it is to find a good husband? All you good husbands say amen. Amen. Here's the analogy. Finding a good man is like finding a needle in a haystack. That's an oldie. Um, Surprised uh, by an event in your life? Didn't think that was going to come, going to happen. Then this one comes from Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, you know these. Um, Ever told a joke only to have to explain it to someone. That's always a joy. So maybe next time you'll use this little analogy. Explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You understand it better, but the frog dies in the process. Jesus drops a bombshell on the disciples in John chapter 14. It's the night of his betrayal. It's the night of the Last Supper. We, we remember those events connected to that. But he drops a bombshell on them that he's leaving. And he does it at a holiday meal. He understands the difficulty of these men in hearing this. And so he reaches for an analogy to try and explain how they can navigate this difficult time in their life. They're leaving the upper room where they've shared the Passover meal together. And they must be headed, I think, to the Garden of Gethsemane pretty much straightway when they walk by a vineyard. Or maybe just somebody's home where there's a grapevine hanging over a fence. But Jesus picks up a section of that plant. And he explains the chain of command of the entire universe. And here's his words. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, so remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He repeats himself, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And then he concludes... As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this, listen closely, so that my joy may be in you. Your joy may be in you. This gathering of disciples this morning, along with the disciples that are at the Maranatha Christian Center, want so very much to experience joy in our lives, we'll be honest. If we have a choice, we want joy over disappointment. We want life over death. We want freedom over enslavement. And so we come to you this morning with our hearts wide open, our minds open, asking you, how do we tap into that? How do we, how do we allow that life force that you're offering us through the vine to be in us, the branches? Because, Father, we do want to bear fruit for you. Show us how. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. There's some imagery here that may not strike us like it did the first century Jew. I'll just say that right up front. When Jesus says to a Jew, I'm the vine and you are the branches, that is loaded with meaning. Because in the Old Testament, every time you came across someone or something that was tied to the vine, it was always the nation of Israel and it was always a very negative connotation. Here's an example from Isaiah chapter 24. Verses 5 and 7. He's referring to God's chosen people when he says, The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. For they transgress laws and they violate statutes, breaking the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, and all the merry hearted. Share a deep sigh. Jeremiah, another prophet in Jeremiah chapter 2 says this. I planted you, Israel, a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? Every time the image of the vine is used in the Old Testament to describe God's people, it's always used negatively. The writers almost always refer to them as a vine that's not bearing fruit, a vine that's not cooperating, a vine that doesn't have a very tight relationship with God. It's not healthy in any form or fashion. And it's almost always followed by a pronouncement of a warning because God's wrath is about to come. So this has to catch the disciples a little off guard as they're making their journey from the upper room toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Because if you're a Jew and you heard vine terminology in any, any illustration, you're bracing yourself for judgment. And you remember, just that night, they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Maybe they're thinking, okay, it's coming now. Yeah, he washed our feet, but buckle your seatbelt. He's talking about the vine. We know, we know what God says about vines. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine. In a nutshell, he's saying, listen to me. I can do what you can't do. Jesus is placing himself in this imagery. It's an image that was tied to unhealthy and fickle people and filled with disloyalty people. And it's now about to be transformed into an image for these disciples of a faithful, fertile, full life. Now that had to catch them off guard as well. Because Jesus is saying, you stay connected to me and finally we get this thing right. 
Now notice that none of that is connected to trying harder. Go back and reread this text on your own. None of this is tied to more discipline, more effort. No, the type of fruitfulness that Jesus is offering here for every single disciple, he says, I am making possible in you. You say, well, Jimmy, that sounds nice. That sounds kind of sweet. But how in the world is that possible? Well, for starters, let me start off with a question because I am kind of curious. Since we don't have a room full of farmers here, may have one or two, but since we don't have a room full, I'm just curious, did anybody do any planting of their own this last spring? Raise your hand. Okay, we need to. Okay, somebody who raised your hand, don't put them down yet. Keep them up. Uh, what'd you raise, Mickey? Eggplants. Okay. Wouldn't raise that at my house. Anybody else? What'd you raise back here? What'd you raise? Tomatoes. That a girl. Anybody else? What over here? Go ahead, Ricky. Oh, here's one. Steve. It's tomatoes, squash, what else? Oh, two things, tomatoes and squash. And man, if we had them in our office. All right. Anybody else? Yes, back here. Okra. Attaboy. Fry it up. Fry it up. None of that stewed stuff. <laughs> all right. So we got all kinds of things that people here planted. The sportsmen did a little planting. But you know what my favorite is that we planted? Texas vine-ripened tomatoes. Oh my goodness, if there's one thing that helps enduring this Texas heat, it's Texas vine-ripened tomatoes. Amen? Oh, I love them. Well, whether it's grapes or tomatoes or what I have up here this morning, a shishoto pepper. No, I said that wrong. Shishito pepper. Well, I'm not really sure what it is, but I have to be very careful how I say that in this church, okay? A shishito pepper is what I think it is. If you've raised anything that flowers and then turns into something tasty, then at least you've got some kind of an idea, even if you've never raised a grape in your life, about what Jesus is trying to talk about here this morning. Because almost all of us have seen the main vine, or what this would probably be called as a stem, right? And then from that comes these branches that produce these blossoms, which actually has some, and it actually has some fruit where those blossoms have turned into something tasty. Now, I talked to the lady at the garden store, and she, I, said, I said, wow, you're kind of low on pepper. She said, yeah, people love to grill them this time of the year, but you need to get one of these because, buddy, it's something else. So we've not planted it yet, but here's the stem that's got the branches, that has the flowers, and then comes the tasty fruit. That's the image that Jesus is trying to say, I want to have with you. I want to have with you. And here's the very first takeaway that I thought would be a benefit of all of us this morning. God is hopeful to produce great fruit, listen to me, in your life. God is hopeful to produce great fruit in your life. Now that may not be what you heard from your parents. It may not be what you've heard from your spouse. It may not be what you've heard from your church. It may not be, most often, what you've heard from yourself. But this text, if it says anything, is that God intends, no, he hopes to bear much fruit in every single one of you. Back in May, when the chief gardener in our home, Gail, planted her garden there, there was high hopes that she would be incredibly successful in what she was doing. Black-eyed peas, little squash, uh, banana peppers, uh, it's a small little keyhole garden, but she, she grew a ton of stuff in it and did amazingly so. 
God brought you into this world hoping for nothing less. Man, I hope you heard that. I thought when I, I wrote that down, I said, now you're going to hear it and go, yeah, that's what a preacher's supposed to say. No, I really want you to hear this. He brought you into this world, planted you here, because he so hopes that you will grow in him and produce some amazing fruit for yourself and others in your life. And I just knew you needed to hear that this morning. I did. And he assures you that everyone who listens and welcomes him to be the chief gardener will produce fruit. Will. Not just hopes, but will. Especially if the second truth you also embrace. And that is that God desires a great connection in your life. Now the first one wasn't optional. You just came. Here you were, boom, planted in the world. But this one you have a choice on whether you're going to connect with the chief gardener or not. Now, he uses other analogies for connection. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 18, he uses a connection between of a body. And there's this head, he says there, and there's this body. And when the two are connected, that's good. When the two get disconnected, not so good. Not a lot of life in that. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, um, you want to talk about connection that I'd like to have with you? It's like a husband and a wife. One flesh. Man, when they're connected, it's passionate. There's amazingly uh, uh, a great life there, productive life there. But when they're separate, not so much. Now, if neither one of those connect with you, and maybe not so much with the disciples, maybe it's because of the opportunity of where they were and what they were walking by, but he pulls off the side of the road and lifts up some portion of the plant and says, can we talk a little bit about how I'm the vine and you're the branches. Can we talk a little bit about how significant it is that these branches are connected to the vine in order for them to produce fruit? Now, when you disconnect from the vine, not a good thing. Even if you place what's disconnected amongst those things that are connected, it looks pretty good, but it won't be long before what looks good is going to start showing the signs of demise and even death. And you know, it's a very simple analogy, both for the disciples and I think for us today. But my goodness, it's one that's important for a disciple to get. That the only way in the world that any branch, hello branch, is going to be able to produce, no way out here, every way if it's connected to this main stem. And God's saying, that's me. That's me. Now, you may have fumbled into this world on your own, had no clue what was going to happen, and you found yourself planted here. But somehow or another, on this day today, God says, hey, you didn't know this. He was actually saying it behind the scenes, but you get down to the Kerrville Church of Christ because i got something I want to tell you. I want to bear incredible fruit through you. And the only way that happens is, you may not have known this before, but you've got to be connected to the vine or the stem, and that's me. That's me. So here's a million dollar question, at least for the morning. How's your connection with God? Is it more or less than your cell phone? Is it more or less than your Xbox? Is it more or less than your college alma mater? Is there anything that compares 
in your life to the connection you have with God. This branch's life depends upon being connected. And what God's trying to say is, is your life depends upon it too. As best as he can share it in the most simplest of illustrations. Your fruit that not only blesses yourself but blesses others is dependent upon it. (laughs) Now, I tried to find it in John chapter 15, but it says nowhere in there, preachers need to shout to the church, y'all need to produce some fruit here. Come on now, let's produce some fruit. And there's nowhere in John 15 that says, okay, everybody resolve, I'm going to produce some fruit if it kills me. Doesn't matter how much you resolve. Doesn't matter how much a preacher shouts. Doesn't matter how much you you put uh, the disconnected branch amongst the other branches that are bearing fruit. No fruit. Unless you're connected to the vine. No fruit. Here's what he actually says. God kind of gets repetitive here. Verse 4, remain in me. Says it twice in that verse. Verse 5, if anybody remains in me and I remain in them, they produce much fruit. Verse 6, remain in me. Verse 7, remain in me. Verse 9, remain in my love. Verse 10, remain in my love. You get the idea of what God is trying to emphasize to those of us who've been planted here on earth? Please remain in me. Please connect to me. That's your task. My task is to provide everything that you need for life. That's on me. But you stay connected. That's your task. Friend, Jesus is not about to railroad you into anything. Doesn't need to. Because what he's offering is life to the full. That's what we've been reading in our study of John all throughout these previous chapters. He doesn't have to railroad anybody into that. But he is promising if you want life to the full, then I am saying to you, it has to be as consistently connected to me as a branches to the vine or the branches to the stem. Here's what that said to me this week. You can't read the Gospels and think that following Jesus is some kind of a pastime. You can't read the Gospels and and think that Jesus is some kind of hobby, and he certainly isn't some insurance policy, and he certainly isn't makeup, where you have a choice to wear a little bit or a lot. I can show you the whole gamut here in this room this morning. A little bit of makeup or a lot. Jesus says that's not optional with this. There's no levels of connection here. Either you're connected and there's life and there's fruit because I'm going to make sure of it or you're not. You're not. How do we know that we're the church of Christ? I know we got it out there on the sign, but how do we know if we really are the church of Christ or at least a part of the worldwide body of Christ? One way that when someone walks in those doors or, or meets us out on the street somewhere, they run into a vine Really, that's not a vine. It's a branch, isn't it? It's a branch connected to a vine that's bearing some fruit. And if they find the fruit of Christ, then that's the church of Christ. How are we doing? Here's what he's looking for in Galatians chapter 5. He spells it out. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. He says, if there's a place you ever need to find any of that, you go find me a branch from one of my churches connected to the vine, and that's what you're going to see there. That's what you're going to find. That's how we know if we're the church of Christ. Now, John doesn't spell that out. He uses one word here. He uses the word fruit, or kind of interchangeably life, 
a life that blesses another human being and then produces blessing in another human being who does it again with another human being. Now, in contrast to what Jesus is teaching here is something that's not so pretty. But it is pretty prevalent. Because most of us try to live our lives as if we're the vine. And Jesus is the branch. Kind of a support to help us for what we want to do. Am I not right? We have our goals, our desires, our work, our play, and we attach Jesus to our lives. But Jesus wants us to understand something. I won't settle for being an attachment. Not for the life that, that we want to bring in you and through you. No. We're the attachment grafted into him, the vine. And through that Incredible vine comes incredible life. That's the only way it works. He's writing a story that we've been invited to be a part of, not the other way around. He's the main character. We're the supporting cast. But in this story, you have an incredibly important role. Look at those branches. They're the things that are bearing the fruit that we get to enjoy. And he intends for you, a very specific branch, to be in a very specific place, uh, in a specific office, in a specific team, Blessing those people right where you are, and that's his intention. Did you mean it while ago when you prayed along with Chris? I hope you were, because it made me stop how I was going to open our service in prayer. Did you mean it while ago when Chris said, Your will be done on earth through me as it is in heaven for your kingdom, by your power? By your glory, for your glory. Were you connected with those words a while ago or just looking like you were connected? Now, I, I knew what was coming, so I was in there. But there have been times when someone's been praying a prayer up here, I'm not connected. <laughs> no. So I'm asking you to rethink that. I know it's called the Lord's Prayer, but I really think it's better called the Disciples' Prayer because he's teaching it to the disciples. Here's what I want you guys to be praying. Our Father who art in heaven, glory and honor be to your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You give us everything we need today for life in our relationships, in our jobs, and please forgive us. Oh, my goodness. We mess it up, we, and we, we create debts, and so we're asking you to forgive us as we let go of the debts in other people's lives. And lead us nowhere near temptation, God. Man, we've been derailed by that stuff. But deliver us from evil whenever it gets its hold on us. For it's about your kingdom. It's about your glory. And it's by your power forever and ever. Amen. Do you mean that? He was hoping you did. Because of all the things that you could have given during that collection, that's what he was hoping you'd give is you. Loves to have your money because it really helps translate into food and Bibles and tr sending people around the globe to get to places that we don't want to go to take them the good news of what we're talking about this morning. That God has planted them in the world. And he so wants to bear fruit with them. He says, look, you just get connected to me and I'll handle the rest. You worry about connection. I'll handle about the fruit. Here's the three parts of that task that he wants us to be a part of. The first one is simply to remain in him. <laughs> no matter what comes, whether you experience the greatest of joys or the greatest of sorrows, the greatest of loves or the darkness of betrayal, abundance to the max or absence to the max, never, never, never let go 
of the vine. Never. A close friend of mine put his two kids on a plane. They're 11 and 5. Don't know that I could have done that. Put his two kids, 11 and 5, on a plane in San Antonio and shot them over to Sacramento. There to see some family. Made all the arrangements to have a great trip, a successful trip. Grandparents were going to be waiting on the other end. The kids only had one job. Stay on the plane. Now he tipped the stewardesses a little bit to make sure that they did. But that was their role, just stay on the plane. And then if they would stay on the plane, they would get to a place where they would be embraced with love and have the greatest of times. Their job, stay on the plane. And that's our job. That's what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples on this incredible night. Things are about to get bumpy. A lot of turbulence ahead on this little plane that they're riding. He says, just don't get off the plane. No matter what unnerves you, no matter what threatens you, no matter what disappoints you, stay on the plane. Remain in him. That's the first task that we all have. The second one is receive his love. Receive his love. Welcome his love. Embrace his love. have been talking about being planted into this world. We were all born great receivers, aren't we? We just are. Naturally, we come by and we come into this world receiving. And that's a wonderful thing because if you don't receive when you come into this world, you die. Receiving is essential. Receiving love from your mom, receiving uh, food from your mom, receiving warmth and protection from mom and dad, hopefully. Receiving, receiving, receiving changes and receiving burps, receiving whatever you need. And we never grow out of that. Any human being alive has needs. Any human being alive needs to continually be receiving. God says there's one need that I need to make you aware of above air, above food, above water. You need to receive my love. Because I so loved you that I'd send my son to you. And that whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to worry about perishing, wouldn't have to worry about doing without, but have life that never comes to an end. And he came to tell you, of all things, you are so loved. And of all things that we need most in this world, we need to hear that. I do. What's amazing, if you need some evidence to say, well, I'm not sure that I believe that, just look to the life of Christ. Man, if there was ever a great receiver, it was him. He came into the world just like you did. Born of a virgin Mary, but still, once he was birthed, needy. Receiving to the max. Mom was changing him. Mom was burping him, feeding him, loving on him. And he so needed that because he was fully human. And that's so essential for us to get. I mean, he came and he, he went through everything that we went through, including the birthing process. How much did he want us to get that he had to be a great receiver before he was ever a great giver? Look at these three passages real quick. John 5, 19, truly I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. Really? The Son of God can do nothing by himself unless he sees the Father doing it. Doesn't happen. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 8, 28. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own but speak just what my Father has taught me. One more, 
John 5 and verse 30. This one's a big one. By myself, can't do anything. Who's saying those words? Jesus, part of the Trinity. While he's in the flesh, though, God in the bod, all right? Couldn't do anything by himself. Come on now, sportsman, you making this up? No, I just showed you. It's in the Bible. Three times. Nothing on my own. There has been no doer, no giver like Jesus, but there's also been no receiver like him either. So receive his love with all your might. And here's why. Because what God's interested in is not you being a great plant. He wants you to be a great son and a great daughter. This is family we're talking about. That's why it's got to be based in love. And you need to know that. No fruit comes. You, you can't give that. Not, not the level of giving this world needs without receiving it first. And so that's where he starts. How do you get some of that? This bunch of folks here. Yes, through the word and putting faith in that word that I am love. But I'm telling you, get yourself around some of these people bearing fruit all over the place here. It, it, it bothered my family at first when I told them this. But I have had in my life always people that I felt a closer connection to than I did my own blood family. I believe this with all my heart. Water's thicker than blood. And when I went into that water and came out a disciple of Jesus Christ, it opened a whole new realm of family to me that I'd never known before. And I'm telling you, I've got some aunts and some uncles and some grandmas and some grandpas and some moms and some dads in the faith that are closer to me than my own family. Is that because my family stinks? No. Y'all are just awesome. You're awesome. And you're staying connected to this vine and you're bearing the fruit. I want to be around all the time. I'm not around them. I'm around you all the time, at least once a week. Hang around God's people. It's another way that you receive his love. Lastly, here we go. Return his love. Return what you've been given. Give it back. First to the God who made you and sustains you and redeems you. But then again to those people who are right around you. And then as he moves you through this world to the people that you come in contact with. Oh my goodness. Because that's what this plant does. It receives nutrients and it receives light and it receives fertilizer only to give back. And there's this incredible process. Call it the circle of life. Call it whatever you want to. God designed it. You're just a better plant when you're giving it away. It just blesses yourself and everybody else around you. Jesus said it this way. What that kind of translates to, and so everybody understands this, is loving people in the parameters that I've given you. Okay, let me get to the biblical word. Obeying the commandments. I know you don't like that word. We're Americans. We don't like to be commanded to do anything. Right? But here's what God says. If you want to be connected to the vine, you've got to obey the gardener. You've got to obey the vine. Obedience is necessary. Here's the, the Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbors yourself. There's the commandments in Reader's Digest. Now, if you want the full version, turn over to Exodus 20. You get the 10, all right, from Moses. That's from Jesus. You get the 10, full 10 in Moses. None of them have an expiration date. That's not my word. It's his. You, you want to love me? You keep the commandments. 
We made the mistake of saying it's just limited to two. No, he just narrowed it down to two. He knew that the phone age was coming and the Tulsa age was coming. But it's all ten, spelled out in love there. With every plant that Gail purchased, this year came some instructions. I took this one out of the shishito plant there. Did I say it right? Yeah, that's it, shishito plant. And on the, on the card was whoever raised these suggestion about how to best grow this plant, what type of soil it needs to be in, how much light it needs to have, how often you fertilize it. That's just what someone who, who wants to see a plant do well does. Now, when my wife started planting our stuff, the beans, the banana peppers, the tomatoes, she didn't just read the instructions. I'm telling you, she went to the master gardener. Not the chief gardener, that's God. But she went to the master gardener. That's Steve Bailey. Now, I don't know why they're laughing at that, Steve. They don't know how well you garden. No, it's because half of the church doesn't know. That's Renee's husband, the rest of you, okay? Steve Bailey, he is a master gardener. Before we ever tasted our first Texas vine-ripened tomato, Steve was delivering him to the office. The man has an incredible garden. Incredible. And so my wife, not just wanting to take the instructions here, she said, I'm going to go find a master gardener, someone who knows what it's like to grow something and do it well, and I'm going to learn from him what I need to do in my garden. And so they talked, not just about the basic instructions, but I mean they talked about bugs and fungus and how to keep deer away. And Renee and I went and did something else. I don't know what we were doing, but they just were grooving on all this because they took this seriously. And God says, I hope you're taking this seriously because I've laid out some parameters for you. And if you're interested in living a really super life, I've got some instructions for how to do that. If you're interested, they're called commands. And if you love me, it'll be easy to keep those commands. You just will. Because that's how this works. If you don't, no fruit. No life. If there's anybody who taught us that, it was the prodigal son, wasn't it? Man, he had a dad who loved him. And God's going to love you. You don't want to produce fruit. You want to be connected. You still get to be loved. Now, you're not going to get to benefit from the blessings of love. You're not going to get to benefit from the, the fruit that comes from that kind of love. But you're still going to be loved because his love for you is unconditional. But his life for you, very conditional. Again, the prodigal son, growing up with a dad who just loved him like nobody's business, he said, I think I know better how to live out there than I do here. He had this growth strategy. He wanted to go try out on his own. His dad said, okay. And so we let him go, and he, he gave him some money to go with that, a huge part of his inheritance to go do that. And so out he goes to, to try out this growth strategy. And before you know it, you know where that growth strategy took him? I mean, it down and down and down, like that leaf that I pulled off of this plant would become browner and browner and browner, till he woke up one day, and he was looking eyeball to eyeball at a pig and said, he's got it better than I do, something's wrong with this picture. I'd just go home and be a servant if my dad would allow it. So he picks himself up and tries to get as much mud off him as he can, and he heads back home to where he knows there's love. And when he gets there, that's exactly what he finds, a dad who just loves him and welcomes him back home. But also with that love came the same old expectations that had always been there. 
Because you see, dad wanted his son to live there. I mean, to live. And so he had these, call them rules, call them commandments, call them expectations, whatever you want to call it, because he wanted him to have the best life possible. And so he decided, dad has a better plan for life than I do. I think I'll go back there. And so he stayed. And God's hoping you'll do the same. In John chapter 15, he says it this way, if you obey my commands, you remain in my love. And what makes it possible? You've got to love me first. If you don't love me, you're not going to keep my commandments. And that's only going to come when you're a receiver first. You can't give back what you don't have. Remain in me. Receive my love. And then return it when you get the opportunity. Now, I know you didn't come here this morning to learn horticulture. And I'm certainly not a horticulturalist. But man, that's, that's an illustration that's just easy for me to get. Hard for me to hear. Chris was honest a while ago. Some days, don't want to be connected. I got my own strategy for life I'd like to follow for a while. And you know what? God has let me do that on occasion. And it almost killed my family. Because I thought I knew better. And left. Came back home though. Not just to Gail and the kids, but to him. And he welcomed me back. And when I got back there, there was those same expectations. If you join yourself to this woman, don't ever leave her. I took it more serious this time. And I'm trying to hang on. Some days when I didn't want to. And so was Gail. And some days when she didn't want to. Because we believe that the chief gardener knows what he's talking about. Knows how to raise a human life and raise a family. And if you'd like to get in on that, because you realize this morning you're not connected at all, I'm going to be standing down here. We got an elders going to have to be at the back. They're, not, they're going to be at the back, and they just love to be able to connect people to this vine who've never been connected before. And if you realize that you've you've kind of gone on your own little life strategy, and it's taking you kind of far from where you want to be, and you need some prayers for that, we'd love to pray over you. But it's time for me to stop because I know one of your favorite analogies is it. Good preachers are like a thermostat. It knows when to turn on and when to turn off. Father in heaven, we love you. Please do your best work now while we stand and sing to you. Let's stand, church.